This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. How are you doing tonight, or this afternoon? We're a little bit earlier than usual. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Katie? I'm well. Uh, I was just telling you before we started recording, I'm sick again. I know. Uh, something's wrong with me, I guess. But sorry uh, in advance for any sniffles. I'll do my best not to be super sick sounding, but thanks for giving me a break. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just blame it on the 50 nor'easters you've had up there this year. Yeah, it's a good good call. We can't seem to decide, <laughs> so we're, we're bouncing 20 degrees every other day. So, um, well, yeah, we'll just wait till spring and maybe I'll finally get better. <laughs> Here's hoping. Well, not a whole lot of uh, chit chat before we dive in today. So let's just go ahead and do it. Yeah. So episode 16 of season four, Did I Stutter? Aired May 1st, 2008, directed by Randall Einhorn, written by Brent Forrester and Justin Spitzer. During an office brainstorming session in the conference room, Michael pushes Stanley to participate until Stanley sasses Michael back in front of everyone else. Michael struggles between choosing to ignore or to discipline Stanley in order to demonstrate that he is indeed still the boss. Yeah, short and sweet. Um, I was also just saying to you before we hit record, um, this seems to be a favorite for a lot of people, uh, or at least it's it's a very quotable episode. But honestly, and I know we're not like a rating or a critiquing podcast, but not one of my very favorite episodes. I feel like there's not a whole lot that happens, Um, but there's still, I mean, it's still The Office. There's still quite a lot to talk about. It's just not one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, I don't think this necessarily ranks super high on my personal favorites list either. Uh, It is worth noting that this is the first episode. It might be the only episode. I haven't looked further than this. Uh, but it's one of the only episodes to feature a line of dialogue as the title. Um, yeah, and that's right. that, that really is the sort of the crux of the situation is this whole episode zeroes in on Stanley talking back to Michael in front of everybody else. And that line of dialogue just epitomizes so much of who Stanley is and what he thinks of Michael and the struggle that Michael is going through in responding to this through the rest of the the episode yeah it kind of forces him to really be a manager um which he i don't think he loves to be i mean i think he loves to be a manager i don't think he loves managing if that makes sense he doesn't like to Mm -hmm. confront his employees he doesn't like to have a lot of responsibility um but as we see in this episode he struggles with finding that balance of he wants to be everyone's friend but he needs to discipline at the same time um and especially someone who just has no respect for michael um he really struggles with that so we get to see a bit of that kind of growth on michael's end into becoming a manager today and in that way i actually do really like this episode because we get to see michael uh fulfill his job title which as you mentioned we really sort of rarely get to see so yeah starting off Uh, He's looking for ways to energize the office or re-energize the office. He says, I haven't done anything since Christmas. And Pam is wearing glasses. And he says, well, Pam clearly has just given up trying. So he's trying to get everybody into this mindset that it's the start of a new year. Let's re-energize things. Let's brainstorm some ideas. 
and Andy and Jim get him on this idea of coming up with a new voicemail recording for everybody or uh, each person coming up. I don't know which way it goes. Uh, and so he starts thinking rap. He, uh, when he starts thinking rap, he thinks black people. When he thinks black people, of course he thinks Stanley, uh, who could not be less interested in this topic or really in anything Michael is saying in the conference room. We know how off topic those can get. And he lets it known. And after Michael tries to insist that he, quote, put his little game down and join the group, he shouts, did I stutter? And it silences the room. And Michael walks out very clearly upset and very, it's more than just upset. His feelings are hurt. He's feeling, I don't know if emasculated is the right word, but I think he, in that moment, doesn't feel like the manager he should be. Yeah, he's definitely knocked down a peg. Um, And I don't know what it was. I mean, maybe Stanley just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He's having a bad day. This wasn't anything really out of the ordinary. I mean, it was yet another kind of assuming incorrect racial stereotype for Stanley. But he's used to those at this point. (laughs) He's worked with Michael long enough. Nothing really out of the ordinary for him. He just sort of snaps and lets Michael have it today. Uh, Not sure what really caused that, but hey, we all have bad days. Yeah, I don't remember if it's a deleted scene or if it's actually an episode, but Stanley has a talking head about how uh, he had warned Michael in the past to uh, not not test him or something to that effect. Uh, I'm looking through my notes right now. I believe that's a deleted scene. Okay. So uh, let me see if I can find those so I can reference it specifically. He's told Michael many times not to test him, and today he just took it too far. And he actually says in the deleted scene, F him. I mean, they, bl- they bleep it, obviously, but, man, Stanley, wrong side of the bed indeed. He, he straight up says F Michael in the talking head. So, yeah, I, I don't know what it was specifically about today. I don't think Michael did anything worse in this episode uh, to, to trigger that than he did in previous episodes. But it, it happened either way, and now Michael's sort of dealing with the fallout. And then Michael, of course, doesn't even want to really talk about it. Toby comes into Michael's office after the conference room meeting and says, hey, we really need to talk about what happened with Stanley. Michael says, you know what? No, you clearly don't get it. You don't have any friends, Toby. This is how friends talk to each other. Um, we were just messing <laughs> with each other. Um, but clearly, Stanley didn't feel that way. And Michael knows that that's not what happened, but he's just not wanting to deal with the confrontation. He doesn't want to, you know, take that role of manager and do something about it. Um, But Toby kind of pushes him and says, like, look, this is not okay. You are his superior. You have every right to say something. Um, And so Michael decides that the best way to handle this is to fake fire Stanley in front of the whole office, which Uh. we've seen before with Pam uh, early in season one. Was it the pilot? Yeah, it was the pilot. Yeah, where he fake fires her because she supposedly stole. Um, this was in our trivia, actually. Um, <laughs> she fake or she she supposedly stole um, post-it notes. So he has, and that didn't go well for Pam either. I mean, she started crying and thought it was real, obviously, and it's just why he thought that this would go well again. Not sure. Doesn't learn from his mistakes, I guess, but. He does it again with Stanley, and Stanley rightfully believes him. And um, 
lets him have it again, right? They're in the middle of the office. And Michael says, well, now you've learned your lesson. This was a fake firing. Um, and Stanley just starts screaming at him and calls him incompetent and calls him an idiot and stupid and just really, I mean, yeah, what Michael did was super inappropriate. But if you want to hold on to your job, like, you might think better than to say these things. I don't know. And so Michael, I think, then handles it really appropriately and says, okay, everyone leave. Stanley and I need to talk this out like adults. And he has the most managerial, most professional conversation we've likely heard from him in the whole series so far, um, where he just says, look, you don't respect me. Okay. I can live with that, but you need to not speak to me like that in public. Like you just have to pretend. (laughs) And Stanley says, okay. And they kind of shake on it and they have a, a mutual agreement to just bite your tongues basically. It is funny how long Michael tries to put off this confrontation. Um, first by denying that it it's something that needs to be addressed, as you mentioned, and then later by he he addresses Stanley at his office or at his desk and says, uh, "You were just joking around, right? You can just say you're sorry or whatever." And Stanley says, "No, I'm not going to apologize." And that's when he has the the other talking head about how he says he he tells his wife that he only apologizes when he thinks is wrong. He told it to his first wife, he tells it to his current wife, and he's going to tell it to his future wife. So Stanley already has a mindset that he's always going to be honest with people if he thinks he's right, and or at least not wrong, and uh, relationships be damned sort of thing, you know? And so after that going poorly, that sort of initial confrontation, Michael uh, tries to find somebody else to deal with the situation. He, Dwight brings out this chart, which I want to talk about uh, a bit more about later. But Jim is only in charge of Stanley when it comes to sales matters, so he can't get Jim to do anything about it. He could get Ryan to discipline Stanley, but that would make Michael look weak in the process. So Michael really is left with no decision but to uh, address his head-on with Stanley. And he does do it in the middle of the office, fake-firing, awful awful way i mean if the the fake firing that was supposed to be a joke with pam didn't go well imagine a fake firing that was supposed to teach a lesson you know there was just yeah it was never going to go right um but i i do love that moment where he stands up for himself and he just shouts at him stop it stop it and it always makes me laugh that he gets everybody to leave rather than just go right. to his private office. <laughs> his office, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, it was the end of the day anyway, so it, it's, it, it's just a... I guess it displays the, the seriousness of Michael in that moment. Uh, it's like, this is happening right here, right now, so everybody better get out of the, the way or you're going to be dealing with the, the residual damage, you know? Right. He totally could have and probably should have taken him into the office and um or into his personal office. But it's kind of a power move in a way to just make everyone else leave. Um True. at the end of the day and it looked strong and you know whatever. <laughs> um mm-hmm. I that always kind of bugged me too. I was like you could just take him into the conference room or the office, but I think 
he knows that people eavesdrop on his personal office because mm-hmm. um a we always get like camera shots through the curtains or through the blinds rather and uh you can hear i yeah i i hadn't thought a whole lot about um making them leave but i don't hate it in the commentary they even revealed that michael originally told the camera people themselves that that they needed to get out and so uh there's another deleted scene we we could just mention now where michael actively avoids going past stanley's desk even to use the restroom (laughs) he walks out the front door down the stairs outside the office park back upstairs on the other side of the building, emerging in sort of the back of the office near the annex, and all that just to go to the restroom, which is located directly behind Stanley. And so in this, this isn't even a deleted scene. It's just something that was originally in the script or they filmed it and they cut it or whatever. Uh, He told the same thing to the cameras. You can't stay here. So everybody, everybody get out. Nobody is supposed to be privy to this conversation. And the camera guy does the same route that Michael did earlier. But anyways, it's funny to me how Michael, maybe funny isn't the right word, but Michael finally gets everybody out. And then his very first question uh, uh, with a break in his voice is, why do you keep picking on me? (laughs) 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 They've known each other for a long time. They've worked together for a long time, both as fellow employees and as a boss and employee, that, that relationship. And Stanley is completely honest with Michael and says, listen, the more I've gotten to know you, the less I've come to respect you. It's not that I don't know you. We've known each other for 10 years plus or however long it's been. You do everything opposite from the way I would do it. And it's really mature of Michael to say, okay, I get it. You don't respect me and I am going to have to accept that. That is not something that Michael accepts easily. I think. I mean, we've talked so much in the past about how much Michael wants and even needs to be loved by other people. And to have this long-term relationship with this guy revealed to be uh, nothing more than an obligation, there's no friendship there whatsoever, then uh, Michael sucking it up and accepting it and saying, okay, we're going to move past this because in the end, I'm still your boss, and if you want a job, you're going to have to treat me as such. So uh, good on Michael for, for finally sort of laying down the law. And then, of course, in the very, or one of the very last scenes of the uh, episode, I, I guess it is the last scene, um, Michael's having another conference room meeting and comes up with some dumb idea it was the uh caroling in july or something for the yeah uh his clients and he asks stanley what he thinks and stanley you know maybe taking their new uh deal a little too far is like has the potential to be your best idea yet when clearly it was a dumb idea and phyllis (laughs) kind of speaks out and says i think it's really dumb or something like that and michael Mm -hmm says, all right, everyone out except Phyllis. So that's sort of his his new go-to um, tactic since it works so well with Stanley. Maybe not the best idea, but um, he just has this new kind of tool in his toolbox for uh, getting his employees to cooperate with him. And I, I'm going to do uh, mention one more deleted scene now just because it, it's so relevant to what we're talking about. 
Toby actually stuck around in the parking lot to talk with Michael about how things went. And so Michael comes downstairs, enters the lot, and Toby says, well, how'd it go? Michael says, well, everything's fine. I don't need to fire him. It went fine. And Toby compliments Michael and says, I think you were really brave today. I'm really impressed with how you stuck with the situation and didn't give up on it until it was resolved. I think that you displayed to your employees that you're the boss and that you were firm with them. And I think that was really great. And so it's really interesting in this episode to see Toby finally sort of step up and do his job. And I only say that because we've seen so many instances when Michael is doing something and should be stopped, but Toby sort of just lets it fall by the wayside because he knows how Michael reacts, you know? Um, and so finally, Toby does his job, but in defense of Michael, and here he is complimenting him. And then Michael turns it around and says, well, thank you. But meaning coming from you, it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> you're the worst and so it does end on that sort of lighthearted tone i think that that would have been a good tiny scene to include in the actual episode just because it shows that uh well i mean it really just shows what michael did take away from this episode was that yes he is still the boss and he can't be everybody's friend all the time so ryan made a brief appearance in this episode mostly to reprimand jim so we got a sneak peek of that an episode or two ago when we talked about um, Jim talking to David Wallace about Ryan's website. And it came up to Ryan that they had talked and it kind of looked like Jim went over Ryan's head to David Wallace and Ryan did not take that well. So now Ryan's in Scranton and kind of lures Jim into the conference room with Toby with sort of a fun, you know, hey, I hear you're a... oh. I forget what the team was. Um, the Eagles. Eagles, yeah. I hear an Eagles fan. like, And they kind of talk about that for a little bit. And then he goes, cool, well, while I have you here with Toby, I need to give you a formal warning about your job performance, which is just, the, ugh, like something about that just makes me mad. <laughs> um, <laughs> just try to be buddy-buddy and then like, by the way, you're kind of on probation. Um, he's... What, what bugs me is that he doesn't really say anything super specific. He says, maybe if you didn't spend so much time goofing off with Dwight or up at reception, we wouldn't be having this talk. He says, I know how how seriously you don't take your job or something like that. Which, I mean, his sales are evidently decent or good. Um, so it's not like his sales are suffering so i'm just not sure what ryan is referring to i think he just doesn't like jim um and that always has kind of bugged me that he would just not necessarily make up an excuse because maybe jim's sales are suffering and we just don't see it but presuming that they're not or assuming that they're not ryan's just being a jerk but we knew that we knew he had that capability um so now jim is sort of in some hot water yeah, I think that Ryan knows that Jim is a competent employee and does get his work done and does have decent numbers. But I think also that Jim pissed him off by talking to David Wallace, however innocent it might have been, uh, which knowing Jim, it probably was pretty innocent. It was just talking about the website. I don't think Jim's end goal was to get Ryan out of Dunder Mifflin, but that pissed Ryan off. And 
he is basically using his knowledge of the way things were before he left to use as sort of blackmail against Jim, you know, uh, because Jim does goof off, especially in the past when Ryan was there. Uh, not so much anymore, but that's still a lot of specific incidents that Ryan could refer to that might cost him his job with David Wallace. And so it, it, it really is sort of a form of blackmail where Ryan is saying, listen, I know things that you've done here because I saw you do them and I'm your boss now. And if you want a chance at keeping your job, you're going to have to to put out a lot more than you are right now. Which is also super backwards because Ryan and Jim were, if not friends, at least friendly back when Mm -hmm. Ryan was just the temp. And Ryan kind of joked around with, um, with Dwight and Michael and stuff too. Like the one that comes to mind in the pilot when, uh, Jim puts Dwight's stapler in Jello and Ryan comes up with the like flan or whatever, uh, whatever it was like, the puns about Jello. Um, mm-hmm. He was totally a part of those jokes and laughing along with everybody else. And all of a sudden, now that he's Jim's boss, all of that was, you know, reprimand worthy. It's just backwards and manipulative. And yeah, but that's a new Ryan. It made me wonder just now uh, if it has something to do with Pam as well. Because after mm. Ryan got this job at corporate, we saw in. The, the first time he appeared at that, uh, the back at Scranton after getting that job, he tried to invite, or yeah, he tried to invite Pam to dinner, uh, talking about animations for, or logos for Dunder Mifflin Infinity. And that's when he found out that Jim and Pam were together. So I don't know if there's some sort of jealousy there compounded with Jim talking to David. And then additionally, Toby is there. And I don't, I, I don't want to sick anybody on Toby for this, but Toby has had a crush on Pam too. And he has his own little talking head after this, this formal warning saying, well, you know, all this time spent goofing around at Pam's desk and hanging out with Pam has finally caught up to him. Almost like he's sort of conspiring against Jim uh, for one last shot at Pam too, because last we heard from Toby in uh, night out was that uh, he was going to be moving to Costa Rica. There's no whisper of that here, but it might make sense that he he's trying one last time. I don't know. In the commentary, they touch on that as well. Apparently the fans did make that connection. And the writers said that they had no like intention to put Toby sort of in that line of fire, but they did sort of unintentionally. Um, the fans started kind of hating Toby at this point because between putting his hand on Pam's knee and then the talking head after Jim's warning where he says that it's Jim's fault, um, that he's kind of in this position, the show drew a line that they didn't mean to. So there's that going on with Ryan, and we see more of that developing in the next episode. But then there's this whole side story with Dwight and Andy, where Andy is selling his Xterra uh, vehicle for a super low price. Or, or he's selling it, and D- Dwight cons him into selling it for an either even lower price saying it's a piece of junk and that I'm just going to use it as a donkey pulled wagon on my farm because that's all it's really worth. And he pressures Andy into giving him, giving into this offer by offering no time to think about it. And so Andy shakes hands on it. He seems pretty pleased because, Hey, I just sold a car to a friend at work. 
That's how Andy has been viewing Dwight for a little while now, is as a friend at work. And then Dwight goes and restores the car and makes it look nice and shiny and lists it on eBay for more than he paid for it. So Andy gets upset, understandably. And there's one moment in... I think it's in a deleted scene, but I thought it was telling to the character anyways, where Andy is looking at the eBay listing and just sort of complaining about the whole thing. And there's this moment where he looks over at Dwight and it doesn't, it doesn't register his anger on his face to me. It's like, wow, I thought this guy was my friend and look how he's treating me right now. And I'm disappointed by that. So yeah, I feel badly for Andy in this episode because Dwight out of, out of jealousy, basically, for Angela, because things are moving along with that relationship. They're, they seem to be more uh, in like with each other. <laughs> I don't know if Angela is really displaying love right now, but they're getting along better than they were. And here Dwight is lonely, Angela lists, hey, but I can have Andy's car and make a profit on it. So I'm going to do that. Yeah, any little thing to get back at him. And this isn't super little either. Um, looking at the flyers that they posted, Andy's car, he wanted originally um, $8,700 for it. Dwight says take $1,500 off, so that would be 7200 He flips it and sells it for close to ten k. So and possibly makes... even more because it was on eBay, and so people yeah. are going to be bidding on it. True. So... He definitely made some good money, and that was all in one day. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he, all he does is wash it, I think, right? So it's a big, huge slap in Andy's face, and it's just any little thing to uh, to kind of get back at Andy for what Dwight probably looks at as like stealing Angela. Um, any friendship that they may have had is is gone at this point for sure. I think that's all as far as characters go. There, there was the the whole detail that Pam has forgotten her contact solution uh, after spending a night, as she says, at a friend's house. I think we know who the friend is, uh, (laughs) which sort of is indicating that things are moving forward in the relationship. They had been talking about uh, possibly moving in with each other, but only after a proposal. And Jim is still teasing Pam with fake proposals. Uh, During that conference room meeting at the beginning, she says, if you propose to me during a Michael meeting, I will say no. (laughs) and yeah. also we get the, I think it's the first mention of Pam's full name. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think yeah. this is the first time we hear it's Pamela Morgan Beasley. So That's right. Yep. Um, and then I did want to say Dwight tried that whole um, like pressuring tactic like he did with Andy to sell the car. He tried that with Michael too. Dwight wants the ability to reprimand Stanley for his mouthing off. Um, and so Dwight has prepared this flowchart, which is incredible. I found a, um, <laughs> a full version of it online, and I'll have Me to too. post it to our social media. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. It's got um, – hold on. Let me pull it up. It's got, like, the women's menstrual cycles. It's got, like, a gay sign for Oscar. It has ethnicities next to him. It has just a lot. It's really, really funny. Um We'll have to post that, but he brings that out um, to try to, like, show Michael who else could possibly reprimand Stanley. And then he says, okay, well, if you don't want to do it and you don't want Ryan to do it, 
the next person who could really do it is me. And he flips over this translucent, like, overlay for the chart, and it just puts Dwight at the top and just arrows down to every single person. Um, and he says, let me do it, let me do it, do it, do it, do it. And again, Michael stays strong and says, no, I need to do it. Um, this isn't on you. When in the past, we've seen him let Dwight pick, you know, health plans and stuff like that making Dwight do Michael's job, but he's being strong. He's not, uh, he's not caving this time. Going on to more specific funny moments in the cold open, Michael is in a rush to get ideas from people so much of a rush that he neglects to initially tell them what he needs ideas for. (laughs) He just runs in saying, I need ideas. I need ideas, people. Okay. Well, (laughs) give us some context. Uh, there's drying cement outside. He wants to leave his mark in a way that he can claim so he doesn't want to put MGS for Mark Michael Gary Scott because a guy named Mark Gred Sputnik could claim that. <laughs> Jim says, yes, that's true. He doesn't want to draw pictures. Handprints are a good idea, but a face print in the cement is even better. And so they lather up uh, Michael's face in, uh, well, it, it's revealed in, a, in the commentary that it's KY Jelly which I, I can't decide whether I want to accept that as like canon. And they asked around until they found somebody on staff who had sex jelly on with them. Uh, or if it's just like a fun tidbit. I, I think it was Vaseline. Like it, it was in a Vaseline jar. But oh, was the, the props, it? Okay. Yeah. The uh, props team was actually like use KY. But I think I saw a Vaseline jar in, in the shot itself. Okay. Gotcha. That makes me feel Either better way, anyway. Really funny. <laughs> Uh, but then he afterwards has a talking head where he says, uh, I'm going to come back here when I'm 100 and I can find that piece of cement and say, that's me. Look, kids, your daddy left that face hole. I don't know. It's a good feeling. <laughs> and I just had to wonder if he's 100, how old is he expecting his kids to be? Yeah, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, assuming he had kids tomorrow, we know he's around 44, 45 age uh, right now. And so if he was 100, his oldest child would be at least in his uh, 50s. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which it would be really weird to bring your fully grown kid who probably has kids of their own to your place of employment from <laughs> many, many years ago. Just, right. you know, Michael not thinking it through. Not to mention <laughs> the fact that there is now a crater in the sidewalk. <laughs> it doesn't look extremely face-like no (laughs) it's a kind of a a safety hazard and in the commentary they even mentioned that there was a deleted scene that didn't make it onto the dvd of somebody tripping over his face hole (laughs) (laughs) another funny moment one that always makes me laugh when dwight um is in the conference room with michael actually just in that same scene i was talking about with the flow chart dwight has this metal pointer that he's using to talk about the flow chart and he's trying to convince michael and he like swats the pointer on michael's cheek and like tries to make him look at dwight and it's just very (laughs) like very intimate looking i don't know it's just very funny he's like hey 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 look at me (laughs) and it's just um it always makes me laugh michael says awful things to pam about her glasses but they're funny too he says man those make you look so ugly in order to get hotter you have to take those glasses off you're moving in the wrong direction you look like an (laughs) ugly scientist i can't even hear you right now um yeah there's that and then when he's tried to sort of justify what stanley said to toby he says 
You know, friends joke with one another, hey, you're poor. Well, hey, your mama's dead. That's what friends do. And I honestly can say I've never had anything resembling that conversation with my friends. <laughs> you don't you don't tell your friends that they're poor? <laughs> no, or, or that their mom is dead in yeah. <laughs> any comedic way. At all. Um, speaking of blind Pam, Creed has a great line where he says, a lot of jazz cats are blind, but they can play the piano like nobody's business. I'd like to put the piano in front of Pam without her glasses on and see what happens. I'd also like to see her topless. <laughs> um, I don't know which order he thinks uh, blindness and great musicality, like how they go hand in hand. But uh, I think he might have that backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I also noted, hey, Creed knows who Pam is now. <laughs> yeah, he, did, he didn't know her name before. <laughs> um, Michael, at the end of the episode, starts off imitating Rodney Dangerfield's don't get no respect routine. But then he veers off into combining it with other comedians' routines, in, such as uh, Seinfeld's Airline Food and Jeff Foxworthy's You Might Be a Redneck If and Sacha Baron Cohen's Borat. And it goes on forever. It, he just doesn't know when to stop because it's never good. Never. Uh, but he, he just keeps combining these comedians in this hodgepodge of not funniness. He also, every single time he imitates, imitate, wow, every time he imitates Borat, um, he says Borat at the end, like, we don't know. And he's like, oh, that's nice, Borat. Right. <laughs> he, like, he, like, cites his, his uh, reference every time. It's really funny. And then, of course, Daryl and the gang advice is a great funny moment as well. Um, Michael is having trouble with one black man in the office, so he goes to the other black man in the office <laughs> and asks him for advice. He says, hey, Daryl, have you ever been in a gang? I know it's, it's okay if you don't want to talk about it. I know it's personal. Daryl says, you know, yeah, actually I have. Um, Michael says, well, dig this. What if one of your gang disses you? Daryl just says, oh my goodness. <laughs> and... Um, Daryl says, you know, what we used to do on the streets is fluffy fingers, where you just go up to the gang member that dissed you, and you start tickling them, and then they'll start tickling you, and before you know it, you're laughing and hugging and going to church and getting ice cream cones, and you're just <laughs> back to normal. And uh, Michael, of course, totally eats that up and believes it. He also mentions that he was members of the Crips, the Bloods, also the Latin Kings, also the Warriors, and the Newsies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is definitely not a gang, <laughs> um, but that's not how gangs work. I don't think they typically allow multiple membership, but yeah, maybe... I mean, <laughs> my extensive, uh, gang knowledge would tell me, uh, probably not. Yeah. Our time on the ghetto. On the ghetto. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the, the initial part of that energy brainstorming, uh, meeting before Stanley sasses him. Where Andy suggests, hey, let's record a new voicemail message with more zing and pep. And Jim immediately says, I've got another idea. How about an even newer voicemail message with more zing and pep? <laughs> and Andy just turns and looks at Jim like, seriously? But Michael goes along with it and says, yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing I like to hear. <laughs> even better. <laughs> that always makes me laugh because it's like one of those, it's, it's a sort of a prank i mean it's not really but it's just one of those like easy 
mini pranks for Jim. Like, that took no effort, no planning. It was just a little thing just to mess with Andy. And because he knows Michael so well, and uh, Michael mentions, yeah, maybe a rap, a, a, a rap rhyme. And Jim <laughs> uses Michael's black culture buzzword, says urban. Right, Michael? Urban. Right. <laughs> and that's what six Michael on Stanley to begin with, is that he mentions urban and... Uh, Stanley is their urban representation in the office, according to Michael. Might be it for me, actually. Just one or two quick ones. Uh, Andy, when first talking about his Xterra, has a, vo- uh, a talking head where he says, you meet a lot of ladies driving an Xterra because you pull up to a stoplight and look over and there's an Xterra next to you. They're always driven by chicks. So there's your icebreaker. <laughs> so... <laughs> He, he's proud to be driving a car that is typically associated with women. I mean, in high school, I think I knew three or four girls who did drive Xterras, but yeah, that is I'm, purely <laughs> anecdotal, I suppose. I may have wanted one. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kevin, at one point in the episode, approaches Pam to tell her he likes her glasses. And you think, oh, that's nice. Uh, every Michael was making fun of her. Good on you, Kevin, for complimenting her. And then he says, well, all of my past girlfriends have worn glasses. It's kind of a turn on like librarians. And then he asks her to say, these are due back Thursday. And it, it just becomes, it, it's what convinces Pam. Yeah. I'm not going to wear my glasses anymore today. <laughs> she, uh, yeah, she takes off her glasses and we can just tell how blind she is. <laughs> yeah. What did she say? 4,200 or something like that. Yeah. Something crazy. And lastly, as far as funny moments go, another Kevin moment. Uh, after Michael forces everybody to leave, uh, Kevin is in the, the front entry of the office building, and he's got this talking head about, wow, they are both mad. Michael is in one quarter, and he is mad, and Stanley is in the other quarter, and he is mad, and that's about it. And it's like, <laughs> well, thank you for the insight, Kevin. We couldn't tell that both of them were mad. Uh, and he's so proud of himself and excited for what's going on, but it, it's just, it, it's nothing. Ultimately. He thinks there's, like, going to be a cage match or something. Yeah. What about deleted scenes? Deleted scenes. Um, speaking of Pam's blindness, she uh, asks the camera crew to really, really unfocus their lens. And she goes, no, keep going. <laughs> really, really unfocus it. Uh, how blind she is, she wants to, like, exemplify that. Um, she goes, this is what the rest of my day is going to look like. And she cannot see anything, or rather the lens can't see anything. We uh, hand over to Dwight. It looks like he's trimming his nose hair. Creed's doing something weird, and it's just it's just funny to like a see what she sees, and b she's saying like you know it's actually kind of nice. I don't have to deal with the office at least visually for a whole day. It's kind of a rest. Yeah, going along with that, when Ryan first shows up, he hands Pam a bagel, and he goes on about how New York City has the best bagels and the best coffee and the best women. And then he takes the bagel he just threw at her, which, I mean, she's barely seeing any of this because she's not wearing her glasses at this point. But he scoops out the the meaty part of the bagel. He takes out all the extra fluff, leaving just the shell. He says, this is the way women do it in New York. Less carbs, you know. And (laughs) Pam has a talking head saying, yeah, if I had seen what he just did, I probably would be pretty mad. <laughs> uh, also with Pam and the glasses, Phyllis compliments Pam on her glasses. 
Uh, but when Pam says back to Phyllis, yeah, I, I like your glasses too. Phyllis reminds her that she's married um, so she can wear glasses because boys don't make passes at girls who wear glasses, <laughs> um, which is just, ugh. and then Kelly disagrees after Phyllis leaves. She says, just kidding. No, I, I really like your, your glasses. I like the whole Tina Fey, Lisa Loeb thing that they give off. Um, and then it cuts away to Kelly um, in a talking head. And she says, guess who's the, uh, the cutest new girl in the office or something like that. <laughs> she just wanted Pam to, um, to keep wearing her glasses so that Kelly would be the new cute one. Yeah, that was my favorite part of that deleted scene. Um, Michael has a talking head about how Stanley talking back to him like that was him reaching out and saying, you're not paying attention to me, dad. He says it's exactly what he did as a kid uh, with his own father. And he sort of suggests that it might have been the reason his dad left, which I mean, honestly, that's not true. But as a kid, that might be a perspective you would have. So we get a little bit further of a glimpse into Michael's sort of psyche um, and his upbringing and relationship with his father before his stepfather entered the picture. Uh, But he says, Stanley can't make me leave because I have a contract. (laughs) (laughs) And he, uh, in a separate one, says that he's put Stanley on a pedestal for too long. Uh, He says, jerks don't belong on pedestals. They deserve to be up where people can see how jerky they are. Uh, (laughs) He calls it a big marble jerk stand. But literally, (laughs) up where people can see something is the definition of a pedestal. So, Um, Michael goes up behind Stanley and considers tickling him uh, using fluffy fingers, but he can't seem to do it and walks away. And Jim uh, actually confronts Toby about the formal warning. He says, uh, Toby says, it's more of a productivity issue. Jim says, well, my numbers are good. Toby says, well, Ryan thinks they could be better. And then Ryan has a talking head about how going after Jim is a risky move because David Wallace likes him. But business is about taking risks and getting out on the open highway with a top down. And then he tries to take the top down on his convertible, uh, which I imagine he put up just for this moment because we see in the episode when he drives up that it's down, you know? Yeah. So he literally set himself up for this moment and it jams and it's awkward, but he tries to play it (laughs) off anyways. Uh, Michael holds a meeting with Stanley in his office where he makes a big, huge to do about putting a letter in Stanley's file. uh, Basically saying, I guess that he's on a warning or that he mouthed off or something. And he says, once this is in your file, there's literally no way I can take it out. It's in here forever, which is just not true. Uh, you could just take it out. Um, <laughs> but he, it's like, it's like a three minute scene of Michael just, okay, I'll give you one last chance. Stanley says, don't care. Okay. Well, one last chance. <laughs> it's just <laughs> slowly inching towards the file and Stanley just, does not care at all. And then he af- after he finally drops it in uh, and gives in to Stanley, he says, well, I haven't mentioned the second letter that claims everything that the first one said is a crazy lie. <laughs> <laughs> and Stanley's just done. He's, he's gone. Uh, but that, that, that is funny. Uh, one last one for me. Uh, Pam, in the parking lot on their way out, confronts Jim about what happened in the office uh, because they're getting to that point where they really can't hide anything from each other. 
Uh, and so Jim tells her and she gets really pissed off at Ryan and talks about bashing his face in, hitting him with a stale bagel, hitting him with their car because she doesn't think it's a crime if she's not wearing her glasses. And I just had to add, yes, Pam, it would still be a crime. It's still a crime. <laughs> but but it is amusing how passionately she sort of jumps to Jim's defense rather than uh, trying to come up with suggestions on how Jim could behave better in the office because that's not what it's about. It's about Ryan having some sort of weird grudge. And it's nice that she says, um, I don't need my glasses to know that something's wrong with you. Like, she doesn't need to see him. She just knows. It's cute. Right. <laughs> Uh, we did get a commentary for this episode. Uh, anything to mention on that? Uh, I did like that the the whole cold open with the cement uh, face plant was one take and nobody broke character, which is good because that'd be a difficult or at least uncomfortable thing for Steve Carell to reshoot. And the that's what she said as he's face down in the cement was improvised by Steve Carell. And still, everybody remained in character, which is good. Greg, uh, Greg Daniels wanted Pam's eyes to be just really, really <laughs> magnified in the glasses. This is crazy. Um, he wanted like, you know, when you see somebody with, with, with a really strong glasses prescription, their eyes... Uh, are either smaller or bigger. Well, he wanted her to have just giant bug eyes for this. Um, But Jenna Fisher has perfect vision. So what he wanted to do was have her wear contacts, uh, like really, really strong contacts, and then glasses that would reverse what the contacts did. Um, But thankfully, they didn't end up doing that because I can imagine that would be a horrible headache. Um, So they just ended up just giving her fake glasses. Yeah, the the path of least resistance is yeah. the, way to, <laughs> the way to go. I mean, in that situation, that sounds like it would screw with your eyes or oh, something. That would be uh, so annoying. But Rain Wilson was on the commentary as well. And he said, you know, similarly back in the injury, which was season two, uh, when Dwight gets a concussion, they wanted to put drops in his eyes to dilate, dilate his pupils to simulate the concussion. And Rain just had to say, listen, no, <laughs> I don't <laughs> do want to do that. that. Just do that in post if you really want it that badly. That messes with you for the rest of the day. I mean, your eyes are shot. Right. I wanted to mention on this flow chart, again, there were a couple of things I didn't mention. Creed has a star, sorry, Creed. Toby has a star of David next to his name and a question mark. <laughs> they think he yeah. might be Jewish. And then creed's name is in quotes it says creed <laughs> i love that <laughs> in quotes because uh, they're not really sure and then at the very bottom right it says do not duplicate or transmit intellectual property of dwight k schrute for 1000 years <laughs> yeah there were just a couple other things on that chart i wanted to mention as well um kevin has a four-leaf clover maybe insinuating that he was irish uh right. and he has a graduate silhouette like a guy wearing a graduation cap marking him as a college grad i guess because uh, you might have heard he went to cornell cornell right yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh stanley looks like he has a fist next to his name which i guess is supposed to be like the black power movement or something yeah like that's that. what i got um let's see oscar we already mentioned him uh i love that uh Jim was labeled as assistant regional manager, but Dwight was listed as original assistant regional manager. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's also worth noting that this had some old names on it. Devin was still on this chart. So this is something that Dwight has had for a long time because Devin was fired back in season two episode Halloween. 
I also love that not only are the women marked for menstruation, they are also marked as women. <laughs> um, right. They There's, you know, plain employees, and then there are women employees, uh, a very special, you know, type of employee, uh, which is pretty great. Um, and then he has it marked for the party planning committee, um, green for different, like, green are sales reps, blue are warehouse workers. It's a very well-organized, uh, or well-labeled, anyway, um, flowchart. We'll have to be sure to, to post it. Okay, let's go ahead and transition into our next episode, which is Job Fair. It aired on May 8th of 2008, directed by Tucker Gates and written by duo Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stepnitsky. Michael, Pam, Daryl, and Oscar are heading to a job fair at the local high school, Pam's alma mater, to look for a summer intern, while Jim, Andy, and Kevin head to the golf course to meet with a potential client. Pam spends the day reminiscing over her high school days while trying to attract a summer intern that Michael deems appropriate. Meanwhile, Jim's potential client shuts him down pretty quickly. He's not looking to change paper providers, he's just there to play golf. Jim does end up making the big sale, but Michael has worse luck at the job fair. The episode ends with Pam inquiring about a job in graphic design with a representative at the job fair who directs her to programs in New York and Philadelphia. This is thankfully a sort of nothing episode, which we've had in the past. Uh, one, because we've gone really long, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's not a whole lot of extra stuff that happens in this episode as compared to all the the really rich sort of character work we had in Did I Stutter? Uh, but starting off, Michael takes a few people. He takes Pam, Oscar, and Daryl to Valley View High School, which, as you mentioned in your summary, is Pam's alma mater, in order to get new interns. And this made me laugh harder than it should uh, to euthanize the place. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to euthanize Dunder Mifflin. Uh, with some new interns, and I laughed really loud when I was watching that <laughs> late last night. <laughs> but he has Oscar in charge of accounting, uh, Pam as eye, con- uh, eye candy, and also because it's her alma mater, Daryl to hire kids for the warehouse, because let's be honest, they ain't going to college. And that's when Daryl questions where Michael went to college. Right. And uh, Michael is planning to talk to kids about management and sales. Yeah, Michael really is in fine form today. Um, I get that he's trying to be picky. I get that he wants the best for Dunder Mifflin. But A, he shows up totally unprepared. He has this idea that all they need is a single sheet of white paper and that will lure in the kids. Uh, It's just unrealistic. I mean, people are there with lots of, like, merchandise and, and games to play and just stuff to at least catch the eye of the students walking past to maybe, you know, get them to come to the booth. Michael just has a sheet of white paper. Um, And we really only get one interested student, and Michael just really just kind of craps on him. And um, Pam is having a nice conversation with him. He seems interested enough. And Michael just absolutely turns him down and says, you know what, we are looking for someone like... I don't remember what he says specifically, oh. but it could probably be summed up as he's looking for a new Ryan, you know? Yeah, he says, like, you could be a classy janitor or a cashier with dignity oh, yeah. or a <laughs> migraine worker. Maybe for you, paper should worker. be... Right. <laughs> Maybe for you, paper should be more of a hobby. Um, he just wants somebody kind of cooler and sexier and, like, just 
more flashy and uh this guy justin just isn't doing it for him and then at the end of the day oh wait they still had no one else and so michael kind of backtracks and tries to win justin back but justin's smart and he's learned (laughs) yeah michael's mindset going into this was completely wrong instead of looking for interested candidates he was looking for sort of a type rather than like I said, anyone with just interest. If if they're interested, you should at least get their names so you can contact them if you don't have as many applicants as you would like. And that way you at least have somebody working there. Right. Uh, but he, he shows up ill-prepared, as you mentioned, with just a sheet of paper. And there's all the drama that he puts Pam through with that. And then he he doesn't dress professionally. He's dressed in jeans and sneakers and a, a like a just a normal uh, zip-up, hooded sweatshirt it it's not professional at all compared to daryl who's wearing a button-up and tie and i believe oscar is as well and it's just this isn't the setting for trying to act cool and act like these kids friends because they're looking for a job they're looking for something that they can get college credit with or at least some sort of light pay for the summer and then he has to go and ruin it later by announcing to everybody, yeah, we don't do either of those things, but it's a cool place to work and you're going to have fun and you're going to laugh a lot. But yeah, we can't pay you. We can't offer you college credit. And I just love, if you remember uh, in Diwali back in season three, I uh, mentioned a theory where I said, I bet the writers resolved to have Michael always pick up a microphone if there was one present. And this episode only helps to reinforce that theory because... (laughs) <laughs> the moment he realizes there's a microphone, oh, somewhere where I can let my platform be known. And he, go, he, he goes straight there and makes a fool of himself and just ruins his chances of getting anybody for the rest of that time. I had forgotten that. Yeah, we have this episode. We have the Booze Cruise. We have Diwali, the Dundies. Mm-hmm. All of those. Yeah, he picks up the mic. <laughs> That's really funny. So far, uh, my, my theory is holding true. We'll have to see pushing forward if that... that continues i yeah i really didn't have a whole lot else to say uh about well i guess it should be mentioned that pam um well so justin signs his name on the piece of paper so pam has to go look for a uh a blank a blank sheet of paper so she goes to the old art room and on her way finds like a trophy case with roy's picture in it because they went to the same high school um, with sort of his football accolades in there. And she says, what was it? Nine years of my life. <laughs> um, so he, he's still sort of commemorated at the high school as a sports hero. Yeah. There, uh, to be fair, I do think that was a deleted scene. Oh, that's right. Yes, you're right. But still, it, it is worth mentioning for sure uh, that she does get those old memories resurfaced. Uh I mean, and she's so totally exasperated with Michael because of his antics with their, quote, blank canvas of plain white paper. And it has to be Dunder Mifflin-specific paper. Uh, a plain old sheet of printer paper from the art room isn't enough to satisfy Michael. And so she drives 20 miles, or, yeah, 20 miles round trip back to Dunder Mifflin just to get a single sheet of cardstock, which, by the way, Michael only told her to bring one sheet in the first place, even though Pam said, should we bring a few extra? And Michael insisted, no, we only need the one. And, well, here they are. And then another deleted scene, shortly after Pam has arrived back at the school with the new sheet of paper, 
Michael is talking to somebody else uh, who appears to have interest, and he offers him the sheet of paper to take with him. And so Pam just made this trip for nothing because they just handed over the second sheet of paper to some random kid who ends up not being interested in the job at all. Pam, of course, fills out an application at the job fair or tries to um, for a graphic design company, but she learns that she's not really qualified for the position. However, apparently high school kids are qualified. Um, But it listed all of these programs, including Illustrator and Photoshop and a bunch of others that I didn't even know that she should be proficient in, and she's not. And the representative says, you know what, don't worry about it. If, If you're really serious about learning you should look in New York or Philadelphia. Um, and so we kind of see her wheels turning and she's like, yeah, okay, maybe I'll, I'll consider a program out there. Yeah. And this comes right after Michael has sort of not scared her off, but pissed her off to the point where she decides to get out of where he is for as long as she can. Because when he's trying to make up with Justin, uh, he's extremely rude to her, calls her the office hottie, tells Justin that she might do him because she's already dated two others in the office that they know of. And so she storms off and he says, you know, I'd never tell her to her face this, but she's a wonderful person and a gifted artist. And Oscar calls him out on it. Why wouldn't you tell Pam that to her face? Like, why, why, Michael, why would you even consider making somebody feel good for once? And it's ridiculous. And so we're left at the end of the episode with Pam really honestly appearing to consider going somewhere else to pursue art further. And then, of course, we have Jim, uh, Andy, and Kevin at the golf course. Jim, of course, just had that interaction with Ryan in the last episode where he's on probation. So Jim is taking this very seriously. He is golfing with a potential client, trying to win him over. He says, you know what? I have some pretty important plans with Pam. I don't, like, I can't afford to lose my job right now. So we're going to try this. Um, He's really, really trying. And the client, unfortunately, is just not interested. He keeps turning him down. Jim keeps pushing and says, you know what? Like, I I, got to try. What can I do to win you over? Um, And it takes the whole day. But Jim breaks him down. He gets to him. Um, No help from Kevin or Andy on that front. They kind of just slow down the process, it seems. But... uh, he was insistent and, and, and won. He was persistent. It, Michael or Jim does say, uh, yeah, Ryan put me on pro- probation. Remember he was the temp here. So he's making it very clear <laughs> what he thinks about Ryan being his boss now. Uh, but he is very persistent. He says, I'm going to do something I've never done with this job. I'm going to try. And so he offers discounts. He asks what can be done to get this guy, Phil as a customer. And he eventually has to stand in front of the car and says, look, you swung six times at a ball that was in a sand trap. So obviously you're not a quitter. And now you can see that I'm not either. And I'll call you every day until I get your business. And so he concedes. And now Jim has a new client. So great for him. Um, One more side story with Dwight at the office uh, involving people wanting to leave work early because Michael isn't there. So Michael's in charge. Jim is in charge after that. And then it's Andy and Dwight, apparently. They're kind of tied, Dwight says. Michael and Jim are both out of the office. So Dwight says, you know what? I'm in charge because Andy's gone too. Uh, But the rest of the office really doesn't have any regard for that. They say, you know what? 
let's just go. Our two actual superiors aren't here, um, so why should we be here? Everyone except Dwight and Angela leaves, um, so that kind of gives them a moment alone in the office. Not that they really speak, but there's a little bit of tension there. I, th- I think Dwight definitely notices that the other person there is Angela. Um, and then Dwight, of course, calls Michael and says, you should know everyone's left. I've taken down their names and docked them a personal day. Michael says, why should they, like, not leave? I'm not there. Jim's not there. Why should they be there, too? Uh, so, yeah, that was that was pretty funny. Yeah, Dwight seems pretty put out by it because it seems like all he really wanted, uh, and we've seen him power hungry in the past, but in this instance, I think he just wanted some run- responsibility and to be respected by his peers when he is theoretically in charge. And Michael just won't even acknowledge that uh, in that moment. And you, you mentioned there might be some tension between Dwight and Angela being the only ones there, maybe a little bit at first, but what I noticed more than anything was that they started to be courteous to each other, waiting in line for the copier, Angela offering a bless you when Dwight sneezes, they open the door for each other once or twice. So maybe not romantic-wise, but relationship-wise, they appear to be mending, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I hadn't, like I had noticed those things you said, but I hadn't really put that together. Um, that yeah, they, they probably wouldn't have said those things or held open doors for each other in a full office, but you kind of have to either, you know, fight or, or extend courtesy. You kind of have to go one way or the other when it's just the two of you. Now going on to funny moments, how about we start off with Michael? Always a good place to start. (laughs) There was a moment towards the end where he has the mic, of course, and he starts crapping on all the other jobs represented at the fair. And he says, like, H&R Block, I don't even know what they do. Um, He mentions a funeral home and the actor playing, um, playing the funeral home director or whatever. Bless him, but he just looks like a funeral home director. <laughs> uh, they did a great job casting. Like that was perfect. Um, and then he says the air force and this just like badass looking air force guy just turns his body and looks at Michael and Michael kind of steps back and says, Oh, uh, the air force is cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> he backpedals pretty quickly on that one. Yeah. <laughs> when Michael first asks, asks Pam to go back to the office to get a sheet of Dunder Mifflin paper, she asks, are you serious? And he says, yes, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> Which, she didn't. <laughs> uh, not, the, not the proper response, because the, the correct uh, precursor to his response would be, Shirley, you can't be serious. Obviously a right. reference to airplane. Uh, but uh, <laughs> she doesn't give him that, that full quote, but he, he gives her back the response. And it should be noted that Michael says that joke at least one or two more times over the course of the series, so we'll have to make sure to note when he does that again. <laughs> also, Michael, um, he's got a talking head regarding the job fair. He says, all of these jobs suck. I would rather live jobless on a beach somewhere off the money of a large inheritance than have to work at any <laughs> one of these crap holes. They suck. Yeah, that's the dream, Michael. Yeah, <laughs> so would yeah, I. <laughs> the, I. I would too, and I'm pretty sure most of the people at that job fair, including the people offering the jobs, would yeah. agree. As if, cool if as you the could Air live Force on a is. beach, yeah, <laughs> yeah, off a large inheritance and not have to work, jobless, as he puts it. Yeah, that's uh, not too shabby. Uh, Pam talks about memories at her old school when they first arrive. 
Apparently, lots of faking she had PMS to get out of playing sports like volleyball <laughs> and basketball, uh, which not a whole lot out of that for now. But that specific line sort of becomes somewhat important later in the series. Um, I'll try and make a note to revisit it because uh, I, I'll leave it at that. There, there are some uh, things that it maybe conflicts with a little bit later. So anyways. Andy has a uh, funny and kind of annoying talking head where he says, people assume I'm great at golf, but like everyone, I hated golf lessons as a kid. So I used to hang out at the sailing club instead. Just dripping with money. Um, it's just <laughs> fairly annoying. Uh, I Neither don't know. of those things are universal experiences. Yeah, he's, he's trying to make us relate to him, um, which we are just not. Uh, golf lessons, I can almost almost see um you know i had a friend or two that played golf growing up but that's probably i guess because their dads played golf um i didn't have one person that uh i know who took sailing lessons um granted we're from texas so not a whole lot of sailing (laughs) um inland at least but yeah i mean he just drips like connecticut money (laughs) Yeah, Andy also hit 1,200 golf balls the night before this match as prep. He got lots of blisters because he was swinging a club 1,200 times or more if he missed a few times, uh, which ruined him for playing the next day. There's this glimpse of him uh, taking gloves and filling them with lotion to ease his sore blisters as he tries to play a game of golf. And that it just sort of reminded me of people like in college who would pull all nighters studying for exams only to oversleep or to be so mentally exhausted that they end up doing worse than they would have done had they gotten more sleep. It is the same sort of situation where you over prepare and it makes you underprepared. And Andy just kind of makes a fool of himself this whole um, this whole golf trip. He decides to race the others to the next hole and takes off in the golf cart. He hits a bump and flies into the sand trap, uh, and the golf cart just completely disassembles. The roof comes off, and he just goes flying. Um, which, I mean, I've never been on a golf course, but I would imagine that that would get you, like, kicked off, maybe. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> he's he's kind of making a fool of himself in a big way. Uh, Kevin also being there when... Phil, the the potential client, first mentions, how about we make this interesting? Bet $10 a a hole. Why not? And Kevin just starts endlessly listing off these like golf game betting variants that I've never heard of. And I don't think the others had either, but it just further goes to show how deep Kevin's sort of gambling addiction is. We've seen him play poker. There was an episode... Uh, it was safety training, actually, where they were making bets all day long about various things going around, on around the office. And now here he is. He's made a history of betting on golf, too, and he's planning to continue. I think one last one for me. Um, Jim has successfully won over this client. They go back to the office and have a couple of beers to celebrate Michael and and. Uh, Pam and the others come back and Pam sees the beers and says, beers, you got him? Like, Yeah, we got him. And so she gives Jim a big kiss and they try to, oh, wait, you know, we're, we're in public. We're with our coworkers. Let's try to be professional. And they shake on it awkwardly. Um, and Jim says, you know what? Screw it. And he gives her a big kiss. 
And then Michael just walks up and just smiles and gets too close <laughs> and says, yeah, kiss her. <laughs> kiss her good. And they both just stop no. and, like, turn around and look at Michael like, it's just creepy. Back away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in that same moment, uh, Kevin and Andy start singing. And I watch with subtitles on just because sometimes you miss a line or it's in the background and you can't hear it properly. And so when they start singing, the captions, no joke, read both imitating porn music. <laughs> imitating <laughs> porn music. Okay. Uh, I, I just thought that was a funny thing to That's mention. incredible. I, uh, I, I, I watch with uh, subtitles a lot of the times, too. I can't say I did for this episode. I don't think I did. Or if I did, I don't remember that. That's really funny. Yeah. And then lastly for me, as far as uh, funny moments go, Creed, when they're all sort of trying to get out of being at work that day, uh, Creed says, you know, I agree. We shouldn't have to be there if Michael isn't. And he says, I got my work done months ago. And I just had to note, this is exactly how product recall happened last season yes. and how Deborah <laughs> Brown lost her job. I mean, <laughs> Creed wasn't doing his job. He finished months ago, apparently. He thinks it's like a once a year situation. Uh, apparently uh we'll we'll see if that leads to any more disasters <laughs> uh no commentary for this episode but we did have a number of deleted scenes um michael has a he he kind of admits that he's looking for a new ryan um at this job fair he says ever since ryan left he's had empty nest syndrome he calls it that because it's how he feels ever since Empty Nest left the air. Uh, he's lonely and he needs a new Ryan. He doesn't realize, I guess, that empty nesting is a thing <laughs> that's already existing. Yeah, I, I looked it up. Empty Nest is a show that ran from 1988 to 1995. Um, and I didn't look too much into like plot details, but I would assume it, it deals with like a family who maybe just sent off a kid to college or something like that. So it probably got its name from Empty Nest Syndrome. Uh, but Michael is just not clever enough to know the the reference point for that. That's also a really um, long time to have empty nest syndrome from 95 to 08 when this aired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I already mentioned when Pam arrives back with a second sheet of cardstock, uh, Michael sort of hands it over to this other kid who seems interested. Uh, and Pam just gives the camera an incredulous look. But this kid had his polo shirt color flipped up. And it's not too long before Michael has his jacket collar flipped up in solidarity with this kid. And he later ruins this potential with this kid possibly being an intern uh, by being overeager. Follows him around, talks about inappropriate things like the sexy atmosphere and about finding a condom in the parking lot. Because that's the kind of thing that interns want to know about, apparently. And the kid tells him off. He says, hey, listen, you're, you're creeping me out. I was just being polite and I don't want to waste my life selling paper. And so he storms off and Michael just slowly walks back and flips his collar back down. <laughs> <laughs> There's another potential um, candidate that Oscar kind of befriends. It's this sweet girl and she uh, seems really, really genuinely interested in the internship and excited possibly to land a permanent, a permanent position at Dunder Mifflin as an accountant. Um, she seems like a really good fit and actually interested in becoming an accountant. Oscar... I think his heart just breaks when he hears this because he's like, 
um, what do you like doing? And she says, well, I play guitar. And he says, do that instead. We've just filled the position <laughs> um, with somebody else. Sorry to tell you that. Uh, do something else. And he just, he has a talking head. Um, he says, I just couldn't do that to that sweet girl. Um, <laughs> and he says to her, never work in an office. And she says, oh, okay. And she turns around and there is an Office Depot booth and she just goes straight to Office Depot. <laughs> Yeah, that that that's that's the kicker is that she just goes straight to their competition. Um, lastly, for me, I think Jim has a great talking head, which is another one I wish they had left in the episode because I think it is genius. Uh, Jim, he's talking about how if your client likes Italian food, you take him to Cugino's, which sounds like a fancy Italian restaurant. He says if your client likes a little action, you bring him a gambler i.e. Kevin, who makes a bet right off the bat. If he hates Cornell, remember, uh, Phil was a Dartmouth guy, you bring him Andy. So Andy being awful on the course was actually a play by Jim. So Jim is secretly like a master salesman, is what I'm taking away from this. Oh yeah, it's a super smart move. Um, his client hates Dartmouth, sorry, hates Cornell. He's a Dartmouth man. And he's just making Cornell look stupid by bringing Andy and kind of reinforcing his client's uh, beliefs, which is genius. It's really smart. Yeah, it's so cool. And it explains a lot of how uh, Jim is still successful despite Andy's behavior on the course, because it's painful watching Andy on the course that day. Uh, But Jim wins, and it's because he was making Andy look the fool on purpose. That's it for me. Uh, you have our discussion topic today, yeah? Yeah, uh, just a quick little thing. Uh, I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about a time when you were persistent about getting something you want. And I guess we could take it either way, success or failure, because we see both examples in this episode. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, okay, the first thing I could think of, and this is at the risk of sounding just so gross, um, but my boyfriend and I have a really long, like, history. Uh, I met him the week that he and his ex broke up. They were together like three or four years. Um, and we met that same week and I was like, you know what? I like you. Um, let's date. And you know, he had just gotten out of a long relationship and he clearly needed time. I said, okay, that's fine. I'll be here. Um, and I just, (laughs) you know, at the risk of sounding really pathetic, wore him down. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was about three years of me just being like, it's okay, I'm going to wait, I'll be here. And uh, we're going to date, it's fine. Um, and we've been together <laughs> about four and a half years now, uh, after that three years. So it's been a long time, but I got him. You got him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess for me, uh, it was my job search after graduating college, you know, I graduated in December 14 and came back home and started looking for a job. It was middle of the school year. So I thought, okay, well, this summer is when it'll happen. That's when I'll get the job just because there aren't many band directors hiring at this point in time. And so I substitute for a little bit. That summer comes around. I apply for lots of jobs. No luck. So I substitute another year. And all this time, I'm still looking for more jobs. Still no luck. Next summer comes around. Same thing happens. So I'm signed up for another year of substituting and it is just eating away at my soul, (laughs) but I continue and I continue to apply for jobs 
And then finally, last July, this this one that I'm currently in uh, as an orchestra, middle school orchestra director, just sort of dropped in my lap. I wasn't even seeking for this job in particular, and it just sort of happened. So uh, be persistent, people. If you don't give up on what you want, you'll you'll get what you want eventually, hopefully, if it's meant to be, I suppose. That's an uplifting note. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Good place to end. <laughs> <laughs> that is the end of the official 37th episode of An American Workplace. Uh, contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on Twitter. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And if you have feedback or ideas, you can email us workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. The best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And there's my other podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. You can find that where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And show notes and... Contact information can be found at WorkplacePodcast.com. Special thanks to our new Patreon subscribers, Amanda and Aaron. Welcome and thank you, as well as our uh, friend Leslie, who supports us at the Michael level. If you want a shout out and more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion notes and outlines, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 37 of In American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 38 for our discussion on the last episode of season four. Goodbye, Toby. Bye. Bye.